morning. It is 8 o'clock a.m. on Friday, June 21st. I'm Zoe. You're listening to KRUI 89.7 FM. And it is time for So This Week, a weekly summary of your news. On Monday... Four people were shot and wounded at a rally in Toronto. The rally was following a parade for the Toronto Raptors, who won an NBA championship this week. It was The shooting occurred at Toronto's City Hall Square, where tens of thousands of people were gathered for the rally. While the four people who were shot and wounded were the only ones shot. There were others who were injured in the attempt to disperse upon hearing the gunshots, although none of the injuries, including those who were shot, are life-threatening. Three people have been arrested, and police are looking for a fourth. Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, tweeted, I hope all those injured in today's shooting have a speedy recovery And I'd like to thank the Toronto police for acting so quickly. We won't let this act of violence take away from the spirit of today's parade. Dominican authorities announced last week that David Ortiz was not the target in a hit that severely injured the former professional baseball player. This week, they announced the name of that intended target. His name is Sixto David Fernandez. He was a friend, is a friend of Ortiz. The gunman saw a blurry photo of Fernandez, who was wearing similar clothes to Ortiz on that night, and there was dark lighting in the bar. However, authorities have also, while they did point out those similarities that might make it difficult to identify or difficult or easy to mistake the two. They also pointed out that they have very different physical makeups. Ortiz is a 6'3", 250-pound black man. Fernandez is not. (laughs) The hit on Fernandez was ordered by Victor Hugo Gomez, his cousin, who was convicted of crimes in 2011. They think the hit was ordered because Fernandez, Gomez thinks Fernandez is the person who turned him into authorities for his crimes. There are currently 11 suspects in custody for the shooting, with three, including Gomez, still on the run. On Tuesday night, during the 60th rally of his presidency, in a 20,000-person arena in Orlando that was packed, Donald Trump formally launched his re-election campaign. During this rally, he ranted about immigration and promised mass deportations, a trade deal with China, commented on Democrats being hateful socialists who want to destroy the United States, and even mentioned Hillary Clinton, to which the crowd responded by chanting, lock her up. Trump filed for re-election the day of his inauguration, and has had staffers and campaign money since at least March, but this was his formal launch of a campaign. Xi Jinping, China's president, is visiting Kim Jong-un in North Korea for two days. 
Xi has promised peace and stability and hopes to use the visit to establish a new friendship between China and North Korea. According to Xi, the relationship between the two countries is, quote, strategic choice made by both sides and won't be shaken no matter how the international situation changes. Kim visited Beijing last year, but this is the first visit by a Chinese leader to North Korea in 14 years, which is prior to when Kim took power in 2011. This is all occurring one week ahead of the G20 summit when China and the U.S. will join 17 other countries, the EU, and established guests of the summit in Osaka, Japan, for a meeting and discussion by world leaders. A lot of things are happening between the United States and Iran. They've been happening all week as early as last week and as late as yesterday. So Iran announced that it will be breaking the nuclear deal reached in 2015 by world powers on June 27th. Specifically, it plans on breaking it by exceeding the limit set on its stockpile of enriched uranium, which is a material used to make reactor fuel and potentially nuclear weapons. The U.S. is pulled out of the deal, but when Iran did, the U.S. accused the country of nuclear extortion. Iran is asking for European countries' protection of it from U.S. sanctions. The U.S. Central Command submitted a request to the Defense Secretary, and as a response, 1,000 additional forces as well as military resources are being sent to the Middle East. Acting Defense Secretary Patrick Shanahan, who this week removed his name from approval for Congress, so he will not be the actual defense secretary, says, quote, defensive purposes to address air, naval, and ground-based threats in the Middle East are why these troops are being sent. He says it's, quote, to ensure the safety and welfare of our military personnel working throughout the region and to protect our national interests. It seems to be a response specifically from the recent Iranian attacks on ships, as well as their announcement to breach their nuclear contract. And Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, traveled to the command center of the Middle East military operations on Tuesday, but was not accompanied by Shanahan, who is said to be needed in D.C. during this time. On Thursday, Iran shot down U.S. military drone, Iran's Revolutionary Guard says it was, quote, an intruding American spy drone. The U.S. and Iran disagree over the location of the drone, Iran saying it was in Iranian airspace, the U.S. saying it was in international airspace over the Strait of Ormuz, citing coordinates nine nautical miles south of Iran's. The head of the Revolutionary Guard Corps, General Salami, shooting, said that the shooting down of the drone was to send a warning. He says Iran doesn't want a war, but is prepared for a war. <coughs> also yesterday, Trump ordered a drone strike against Iran and then abruptly called them off for an unknown reason. 
So events with Iran are clearly set to unfold in the future, but that's what I've picked out from the last week. Mohamed Morsi died on Monday in Cairo, Egypt, at 67 years old. He is currently was in court for an ongoing trial in which he is one of 28 defendants. The trial is for breaking prisoners out during 2011 protests that led to the removal of Mubarak. He was in, Morsi was in a soundproof cage speaking to the judge for 20 minutes when he became animated and fainted. He was taken to a hospital where he died. Morsi was elected in June 2012 after the Arab Spring and Mubarak's 30-year reign. He was, however, ousted during a coup in July 2013 from the Egyptian military. He was elected during Egypt's first democratic open elections and was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood, a conservative Islamist organization, and narrowly beat the military's preferred candidate. Abdel Fattah LCC became president. He was head of the military coup and won another term last year when the only opposition was someone who also supported him. The Muslim Brotherhood has since been declared a terrorist group and banned from openly operating in Egypt. Morsi had already been in prison. He was sentenced in 2015 for ordering the torture and detention of protesters. He also had a long history of health issues, diabetes, liver, and kidney disease. He was denied medical care in prison and was in solitary confinement for up to 23 hours a day, which the UN classifies as torture. So it is likely that his death is due to medical neglect. Sarah Leo Whitson of the, the Middle East and North Africa Director of Human Rights Watch told Al Jazeera, quote, former President Morsi's death followed years of government mistreatment, prolonged solitary confinement, inadequate medical care, and deprivation of family visits and access to lawyers. If you paid attention to the news in 2003, or if you lived in the northern United States at that time, you might be aware of that year's power outage that affected 50 million people across Canada and the northwestern United States. This past weekend, a similar outage occurred in South America. 44 million people in Argentina, 3.5 million in Uruguay, and many more in Paraguay were affected by a 14-hour loss of power. Thousands in Argentina were left without power as late as Monday. Parts of Chile and southern Brazil were affected as well. The cause? Still unknown. The outage began in northern Argentina at a transmission point between two power stations, signaling too much power being relayed between the two. The outage occurred through a cascade of failures as operational and design errors caused the automatic system to fail to isolate the failure at its local point, thereby affecting power plant after power plant. In Buenos Aires, subways, commuter trains were out of service, the phone, internet, and water were cut off, shops were closed, 
President Macri of Argentina promised a thorough investigation into the incident and that it will never happen again. The results of this investigation, however, will not be known for another 10 to 15 days. Internet and text messaging services were restored in Ethiopia on Tuesday. Texting, calling, internet, social media all had been blocked for seven days in the country. Authorities of the country cut it off to prevent students from cheating on national exams, which has also been done in Algeria and Somalia, and the tactic of cutting off internet has been used for many reasons across the continent. In fact, Ethiopia has previously had the internet blocked for three months before current Prime Minister Ahmed took office in April 2018. It was switched off for those three months in areas where there was civil unrest, but Prime Minister Ahmed ended the blackout when taking office. Millions are without usable water in Chennai, a city in southern India. Chennai's state capital, Chennai is the state's capital and the sixth largest city in India. It has four reservoirs for the city that are nearly dry. Other cities around the area have also been affected. There were protests in a nearby city where at least 550 were arrested on Wednesday. Yesterday, the region had its first major rainfall since December, but it was only light to moderate rain, which doesn't help with water collection, but at least gave respite from the country's intense heat. The government has not yet acknowledged that water crisis. Also in India, a magician named Chancha Lahiri, known as Mandrake, drowned in a river in the West Bengal state when attempting to recreate a famous Houdini trick. Crowds were watching as he was lowered into a river while shackled with six locks and a chain. After 10 minutes, crowds began to panic when he didn't come back up. They alerted the police who launched a search operation and his body washed up a little over half a mile from the site of the incident. 20 years ago, he had been lowered into the same river inside a glass box, but the trick proved successful as he escaped. He said his goal was to revive interest in magic. I'm going to pause for a quick break, and I'll be right back. Iowa Affirmation and Resources Chat, Iowa Arch for short, is a free, safe, and confidential online space for survivors of abuse, bullying, harassment, stalking, sexual assault, and other types of violence at Iowa. At Iowa Arch, we offer anonymous one-on-one support and referrals in four languages. If you're looking for help for yourself or a loved one, use a safe device to chat with us at iowaarch.org. That's I-O-W-A-A-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Remember, it's free, anonymous, and confidential. We're here to support you. Another black trans woman by the name of Zoe Spears, who was 23, has been killed. She was found on the sidewalk in a Maryland suburb bordering D.C. on June 13th, which is the Thursday of last week. She had been shot several times and was pronounced dead on the scene. 
Her death was merely blocks away from where Ashanti Carmen, another black trans woman, was killed on March 30th. It is said that Ashanti and Zoe knew each other. She's at least the 10th trans woman to have been killed, but there are honestly probably at least double that. And of those who have been named as trans women who were killed this year, we have Dana Martin, Ashanti Carmen, Claire Legato, Malaysia Booker, Paris Cameron, Tamika Washington, China Lindsay, Jazeline Ware, Chanel Skirlock, and Zoe Spears. On June 19th, which was Wednesday of this week, also known as Juneteenth, which is not, but should be, a national holiday commemorating the day in 1865 when all slaves were finally liberated, Congress held hearings about compensation for descendants of U.S. slaves, also known as reparations. It was held by the Subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights, and Civil Liberties with the aim to look at, quote, the legacy of the transatlantic slave trade, its continuing impact on the community, and the path to restorative justice. Mitch McConnell says he does not agree with the idea and that no deals will pass as long as he controls the Senate. However, multiple Democrats currently running for president have announced their support of the idea. ta Coates was one of the many who spoke during the hearing, and here you will hear a couple clips from his time there. Yesterday, when asked about reparations, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell offered a familiar reply. America should not be held liable for something that happened 150 years ago, since none of us currently alive are responsible. This rebuttal proffers a strange theory of governance, that American accounts are somehow bound by the lifetime of its generations. But well into this century, the United States was still paying out pensions to the heirs of Civil War soldiers. We honor treaties that date back some 200 years, despite no one being alive who signed those treaties. Many of us would love to be taxed for the things we are solely and individually responsible for. But we are American citizens, and thus bound to a collective enterprise that extends beyond our individual and personal reach. Coates went on to say more about his point. ...of color. But America had other principles in mind. And so for a century after the Civil War, black people were subjected to a relentless campaign of terror, a campaign that extended well into the lifetime of Majority Leader McConnell. It is tempting to divorce this modern campaign of terror, of plunder, from enslavement. But the logic of enslavement, of white supremacy, respects no such borders. He cited multiple consequences of slavery, such as it being used as a mechanism of white supremacy, 
saying that these consequences have existed since 1865 when slaves were liberated, such as unequal rights, Jim Crow, segregation, redlining, gerrymandering, disproportionate prison populations, high maternal death rates of black women during pregnancy, and a lot more. He is famous for many reasons, one of which is that he wrote a 15,000-word case for reparations in 2014 that was published in The Atlantic. There are people on both sides of the debate, both black and white, among others, and while the subject might die down soon for a while, it is likely to come up again following the election should any reconstitution of current Congress and administration take place. Author and saxophone performer and esteemed poet Joy Harjo has been awarded Poet Laureate this week. She is a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation and as such is the first Native American poet to receive this esteemed honor. She says her poems are, quote, carriers of dreams, knowledge, and wisdom. In a release from the Library of Congress, she stated, quote, I share this honor with ancestors and teachers who inspired in me a love of poetry who taught that words are powerful and can make change when understanding appears impossible, and how time and timelessness can live together within a poem. U.S. has had a poet laureate since 1937, in some capacity, and the role is established through the Library of Congress and exists to increase greater appreciation of the reading and writing of poetry nationwide. An executive order released by the White House says they are planning to cut the number of expert panels used to advise federal agencies on pollution, public health, spending, and planning. The executive order says, quote, each agency shall, by September 30th, 2019, terminate at least one-third of its current committees. If the combined total number of eligible committees exceeds 350, an agency may not establish a new advisory committee. There are currently about 1,000 advisory committees in nearly 50 agencies and departments. They serve as, the people on these committees serve as volunteer experts, and in total, for all of these committees, it costs the government only $365 million to run. The panels are often called the fifth arm of government and operate under a 1972 law making their deliberations transparent to the public. The UN Refugee Agency's annual Global Trends report comments on the global migrant crisis. It says the number of refugees and displaced people is at an all-time high, nearly double of what it was in 2009, when it was at 43.3 million. In total, the report says that 70.8 million people fled this year due to violence or persecution. Those numbers break down to 41.3 million internally displaced, 25.9 million refugees, and 3.5 million asylum seekers. I have a few more statistics for you, in case you're a numbers person. 
Over two-thirds of the refugees come from five nations. Syria has one-third of the refugees, and the other third is Afghanistan, South Sudan, Burma, and Somalia. Though it is not counted as a nation, 5.5 million came from Palestine, which would make it the second most. Turkey has accepted more refugees than any other country, over twice as many as the second most, followed by Pakistan, Uganda, Sudan, and Germany. On average, 37,000 people are forced to leave their homes every day. And the report said that one in 108 people on the planet is displaced. Celia Barkin Arozamena, who was an ISU golfer from Spain who was murdered and stabbed in September, has seen a little bit of justice this week. In a Friday hearing last week, Colin Richards pled guilty on one count of first-degree murder of Celia. His sentencing will take place in August, but the first-degree murder in Iowa carries a mandatory life in prison without parole. Celia was studying civil engineering and was the 2018 Big 12 champion and Iowa State Female Athlete of the Year. She was named 69th best golfer in the U.S. County Attorney Jessica Reynolds says, quote, We will honor the life and memory of Celia by remembering her great spirit and all the lives she touched and made better in the time she spent with us. It took a three-year certification process, but Grand Canyon National Park has been certified as an international dark sky park for its distinguished quality of starry nights. The International Dark Sky Association is an association with a greater goal to combat light pollution and to protect the night sky. Its certification carries no legal authority, but does deem that the area has converted its light fixtures, of which there are 5,000, to be dark sky compliant. Grand Canyon National Park aims to have 90% of its lights be compliant within two years. Dark sky friendly lights, because you might not know, I certainly didn't know, are lights that minimize glares and reduce light trespass and sky glow, according to CNN. The park is holding a ceremony for this certification tomorrow morning. So, that's all the news I have for today. It is currently 71 it will be 71 degrees outside is the high. It is currently cloudy outside of Iowa City. And the humidity is at 73%. It is 65 degrees and the sun will set at 844 p.m. 
it's going to thunderstorm for the next at least four days. So if you're looking for a nice, clear night to enjoy your summer, consider heading down to Arizona to see one of those certifiably clear and beautiful starry nights. That's all I have for you today. And I will see you next week.